This episode of the podcast is brought to you by my new favorite joke. A sex ed teacher walks into class with a banana and says, Okay, students, today I'm going to teach you how to put on a condom. And I brought this banana because I can't get a hard on on an empty stomach. Uh, you are... I'm the devil. And I'm here to do the devil's business. No, I was dumber than that. Something like... Rex. Kachudum text! Text! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Roll the Credits Podcast, the only podcast that killed the Manson family. I'm Frank. I'm Zach. And today we are doing Once Upon a Time dot 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 in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. The dots are important. Quentin Tarantino's ninth film, Mm -hmm. second to last movie. Isn't it sad that like we know that? (laughs) It is, but it's kind of exciting Mm -hmm. at the same time because it's like... Oh, what is he gonna do? Like, there's like, there's, there's a sort of like excitement, and I know that he hasn't even started working on his his next movie because yeah. he's he just released a book, so he's been doing that, and then I guess he kind of actually has been working on a like a limited series, hmm. so he's not really in any rush to do his final film, and we're still gonna get other things by him, um, but uh, if you don't know, this is Tarantino's second. Actually, his penultimate. I've been learning new words. Mm-hmm. It's called the penultimate. It's the second to last. <laughs> um, so this movie came out in 2019. Did you see this movie in, in theaters? I did actually. Good. Um, I d- Tarantino's like one of those ones where it's like I will always like force myself to go to the movie yeah, theaters. To yeah, see. that's kind of what I said about uh, when we when we made like that. We had a discussion about like directors who will actually like. Their name alone will get asses in seats. Yeah. And like Jordan Peele, Tarantino, like Christopher Nolan. Mm -hmm. Those are like kind of, there's not many left. Robert Edgars. Like on a smaller scale for sure. Ari Aster. But yeah, but those are like indie art house. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, to a general audience, no. But like to the the main everybody in the world, Mm -hmm. like everybody's going to go see a Tarantino movie. Everybody's going to go probably see the newest fucking Jordan Peele film and stuff like that. Wes Anderson. Yeah. Um, So uh, this movie, what a movie. Mm. This movie is basically about, it takes place in 1969 where we have Rick Dalton, who's a struggling actor who... um, and his stuntman Cliff Booth, and they basically uh, are trying to survive this ever-changing world that is the movie industry. Um, and it's basically him just trying to that transitional period of he used to be this guy, he used to be the shit. He was on this really popular t- television series, and now the '70s are coming, and hippies are the new thing. And he's totally not a hippie, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and he's kind of being pushed away. Um, and it's kind of him just navigating the world of Hollywood in 1969. And that's a, like this movie, while there isn't much of a plot, mm-hmm. there's a lot that goes on. Yes. But before we get into that, we also, we have to talk about the fucking cast in this movie is Amazing. insane. Ama- like that was like the biggest draw for like when I first heard about this movie coming out is like, are you kidding me? You're going to have like Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio in the same movie. Right. I mean, those are maybe... Those are probably the biggest movie stars mm-hmm. right now in the world um, because I don't really consider like, you know, they're, they're like proper movie stars, mm-hmm. not like how uh, these these fucking like who, who's who plays Captain America? Uh, Chris Evans. Yeah. So like Chris Evans 
I don't really consider like a movie <laughs> you have, star. You like, a whole thing with like superhero movie actors. Well, just because they're not movie stars. They're like, they are their characters. Yeah. Like people, now when you see them, you, you only associate them with like Captain America or Ant-Man or whatever it mm-hmm. is, right? But like all of the, like that is who, who they are. Um, they, they themselves are not stars. It's the characters that are the stars. But yeah. like Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt are kind of like one of the final, what, it, what really feels like some of the final um, real true movie stars of, of you know, our generation. Yeah, because we talked about that of like like a few episodes back, like probably 10 or something like that, where it's like there's no real like movie stars anymore. Like there are actors that like feel like they reach a certain point of like popularity, but there's nobody where it's like everybody knows who this person is. Yeah. Like Timothy Charlemagne is kind of being known by people, but Everyone knows who Brad Pitt is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so that being said, we have Leo, Leo who plays Rick Dalton. Mm-hmm. We have Brad Pitt who plays Kit Cliff Booth, his stuntman slash like best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, we have Margot Robbie who plays Sharon Tate. Yeah. We have um, I get this guy's name is Emily Hirsch, who's mm-hmm. uh, who plays Jay Sebring. He's kind of like her best friend. Yeah. Um, you have Margaret Qualley who plays Pussycat, one of the one of the girls. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not gonna go through everybody, but you have like you know big names: Austin Butler who plays Tex. Yes. You have Dakota Fanning who plays Squeaky. Mm-hmm. You have Bruce Dern who plays George Spawn, mm-hmm. who was originally supposed to be played by Burt Reynolds, but Burt Reynolds passed away. Yeah. Um, you have Luke Perry who this plays, is his last film yeah, too. Who plays um. Wayne um, Mander, who's like, he's just like an actor. Uh, Al Pacino, yep. who plays Marvin Schwarz. Uh, and then, I mean, there's just so many names because there's also like a lot of little, little, mm-hmm. like little cameos. I did notice too, like one that surprised me was uh, Sydney Sweeney was in this. Sydney Sweeney was in this. And I remember not seeing her the first like few times. I, ne- I didn't recognize her. And then I watched Euphoria. And then I watched this movie and I was like, oh, that's it. I just like didn't yeah. know who Sydney Sweeney was prior oh, to no. Euphoria. Neither did I. But like then I was like, oh, fuck, that's her. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of people in this movie. Mm-hmm. But I mean, at the end of the day, your real core cast truly is just the Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt and then Sharon Tate, mm-hmm. who is Margot Robbie. Which was cool because this was like up on the rise of like Margot Robbie because it's like Wolf of Wall Street got her into the business and then this just catapulted her. Yeah, she's superstar and, now yes she's in everything we gotta we get, we're very excited for barbie i'm a little excited <laughs> for barbie i'll be honest I haven't, I haven't seen the trailer um and then babylon too yeah that i'm really excited mm-hmm. about um but anyway so a very interesting different film. tarantino movie yeah because he is so that's what like threw me off the first time is because like he's so dedicated to like plot and like story and like getting you roped in and this and genre yes like he is such a genre filmmaker and like yes this is a genre film because like it's in like the late 60s early 70s so it's got like that whole aesthetic to it but to have this be a hangout movie is completely different from like what he's used to yeah i've been watching a lot of hangout films lately <laughs> just, um just as like a side like i i've been i just watched uh Licorice Pizza. Oh, Paul how was Thomas it? Anderson. I wanted to see it's that. It's very good. Uh, and now this, and then we watched the the previous film that we did was kind of like a hangout movie. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. There's just been a lot of like hangout films. Um, so yeah, a very different film in in a multitude of ways. Uh, no big giant like 
Ennio Morricone score. No. It's classic kind of soundtrack, kind of going back to the days of like Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no plot, no real genre, right? This isn't a Western or... Uh, I beg to differ, but we can get into that later. Well, it's not a... It's got elements. It's got like... It's a movie about movies. So mm-hmm. like there are, you know, elements of being a Western or whatever. But I mean, in reality... It's not a Western. It's not it's not a Kung Fu movie. It's not a anything. It's just it's not a crime film really. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just a hangout movie. It's kind of in the same line as Jackie Brown, where it's like it's just kind of the first hour and some change of Jackie Brown, there's really no plot. And mm-hmm. then a plot happens. Yeah. Um this movie barely has a plot <laughs> until like the last twenty yeah, minutes. Yeah, there's re- there's pretty much no plot for the entirety of this film. Um, and I think that can tur- turn off a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But I will say that while this movie is so drastically different than all of his other movies, it does feel like the film that his entire career has been leading up to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we all know that Tarantino has, you know, just a encyclopedic knowledge about film and actors and directors and writers and the movie industry at, at you know at large and not just american right he knows so many things about um japanese and korean and italian and spanish and french and all like he's just so well versed in everything that is cinema yeah so this movie I mean, it was such a cliche, and it started making me roll my eyes after a while, after they were saying, like, oh, it's such a love letter to Hollywood. It's such a love letter to Hollywood. And, I mean, it is, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, but, I mean, it really does truly feel like his entire career has been leading up to this movie. Like, this movie feels like what should have been his last. And you said that, too, like, when you first saw it. You were like, this should have been his last film. It does. It feels like his... It, it, it kind of feels like his final film. And, like, listening to him speak about it, he kind of treated it that way. Like mm-hmm. this, his next movie, he said most likely isn't going to be this big giant thing that we're probably maybe hoping or expecting. It's kind of going to be more epilogue. It's kind of the, the credits are now rolling. Like yeah. this was the finale. Yeah. And now he's going to do like a credits roll. Thank you. Good night type of movie mm-hmm. for his final film, unless something just happens to change. But that's kind of where that mindset that he is, that he's in. So, you know, I got to say that, you know, I was kind of lukewarm on this film when I watched it in theaters the first time. And that usually happens with me. Like mm-hmm. I was I was the same way with um with The Hateful Eight. Mm-hmm. I watched it in theaters and I was like, I don't know if I like that movie. Um, I was like that with Inglorious Bastards when I saw that mm-hmm. in theaters because, A, I was very young and I just didn't understand everything that was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so Tarantino, for me, always takes multiple viewings to like kind of really fully get a, a, a solid um foundation as to how I feel about it and it's been a few years since I've watched this movie now Mm -hmm. and I have to say that watching it just I fully was engrossed entirely I I love this movie I have like very very minor little things about Mm -hmm. this movie that I don't like but I mean once you're now that like you know that it's a hangout movie you know that there's no plot once you know that you kind of just settle in yeah. And then you're just there with them uh, for the ride and you kind of don't want to leave. So that was the thing is like, it's almost like a reverse effect for me. Cause like nine times out of 10, like when I go to see a Tarantino movie, I just immediately, like by the time that I'm out, like I just loved it except for death proof. But we've talked about death proof plenty of times. Um, every single movie I absolutely loved. And like 
this was the movie where it's like I left and I was like scratching my head. I was like, what the fuck happened? Like, what what went wrong here? Because like for me, again, like how we talked about, like it, there was nothing really going on. Like this is so unlike Tarantino to make a film like this. And every time that we would bring it up in the podcast, I'd kind of like roll my eyes a little bit. I'd be like, ah, like it's very well made. Like I get it. Like it's very well directed, but like. I just didn't love it. Yeah. And I think going into it this time, knowing that it's a hangout movie, I kind of was able to give myself to it a little bit again. Yeah. Like, I ended up liking this film a lot more than the first time that I went to go see it in theaters. Yeah. That, that's it. Like, I've seen this movie twice now. Right. Yeah. Because I was like, I, I've seen it. I get it. I don't really need to. Unless, like, it gets brought up. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, like, it, it definitely was, like, a different experience. I do have, like, a couple of minor things as well of, like, stuff that I was just kind of like... This didn't really add to anything, which is very odd for me, again, for a Tarantino film. Because it's like, he's so detailed on, like, everything making sense and everything being, like, a backstory and everything having, like, a meaning to the film. Yeah. So, I don't know if you want to go over that Yeah, first. I mean, the, the one... The, I have two, like, minor w- things. One of them is just... I don't think something was utilized as well as it could have been. And then one thing is I, I'm still iffy on if I like it or if I don't like it. Um... The one thing that I that I just felt like wasn't utilized to its full capacity is the acid cigarette. I mm. felt like that is kind of set up as like, hey, this is this is going to be like a major thing, right? I I bought this acid cigarette. There's a shot of him like putting it in into the uh box, like the cigar case mm-hmm. of all the other of all the other cigarettes, and then he kind of just ends up Brad, you know, Cliff ends up kind of just taking it and smoking it and then getting kind of high off of it. And it felt like it was going to like lead up to something more than that. And it just didn't. And I was like, Oh, that, that, that kind of feels like underutilized slightly. Mm. Um, that didn't really have an issue with me. Cause I was just like, Oh, this is just a fun way for him to fight. I guess. But like, even like, I don't know. It just didn't really add anything to, for, for me of like, Oh, he's just, yeah, a little high. Um, and then the other thing that I'm kind of iffy on, and I tend to not like this in movies, but you know, I've seen this movie like three or four times now, and I kind of been flipping back and forth between if I, if I like it or if I don't like it, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's when we get that, um, that Kurt Russell over, he, he's the voiceover of Mm -hmm. like six months later. Yeah. And then it just kind of tells you that Cliff Booth went to Italy and did all this stuff and then and now now he's coming back to America and now he's hanging out with Cliff and they're no longer they've kind of established that they're no longer really going to be working with one another and they're going to have one last shebang and then and then you're getting that voiceover and narration of like what's going on with Sharon and all that and i just i don't love like it's it's just a whole thing of exposition mm-hmm. that i was like hmm not mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know like i i don't i didn't mind it too much watching it this time but if I'm coming at it from like a truly like real critical point of view, I felt like slightly it's a, it was a little lazy. Yeah, I don't know, but Kurt Russell kind of helped that a little bit. I guess. I mean, the man's voice is butter. Yeah. Uh, the two. It's it's funny. I was kind of thinking that we were gonna have like the same issues with it. Um, the two issues that I had, like one, like the very very minorist one, where I was kind of like, I don't really get the point of this. Was like when Cliff goes and like drops off. Um, was it Pussycat? Yeah. Uh, at like the the Spawn ranch. ranch yeah. yeah. And Cliff is like, oh, I want to go see George, and like everybody's making like this massive deal about it, but it's like there's not really an issue. Like if there was an issue where it's like, oh, like George was like dead, and like he went in and was like, oh, there is no George. 
then I could see like, oh, okay, like you know, they're they're gonna be pissed because they've just been outed, that like they're they're living here for free with like nothing going on. Yeah. But George is living there and like he's totally contempt with like everything that's going on. So it's like I didn't understand why every like all the hippies were so pissed off. Yeah, I guess it's more or less just like they they treat him like a father figure almost and like they're trying to protect him and they don't want anybody to like see him and then go tell everybody like you know, it's kind of one of those things where it's like they don't want them to be outed because that is true. Like yeah. George Spawn really was with them and yeah. and all that. Uh and that it, for the most part, you know, it, it seems like it's, it, it, you know, what was depicted there probably was fairly accurate as to what his kind of like the last four or five years of his life was. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, it's one of my favorite scenes because of how good it is at tension building. Oh, absolutely. Because like by the time that you get to the point of like, you know, one of them going to get texts and like the whole issue with like the tire. Yeah. It's like, okay, like you're building to like something's going to happen. And then for Cliff to just be like driving away, you're like, oh, thank God, like something was going to go bad for him. Yeah. Um, and then the other minor thing that I had, again, kind of like how you said, where it's like it just didn't add anything to the story, like it kind of was underutilized, was like the whole thing of bringing it up that like Cliff killed his wife. Yeah. And we get like the one scene where it's like they're on the boat together. Yeah. And it's like, we we get it implied that he killed his wife. He but did. Like, well, yes, <laughs> but like we don't get and anything. proof because I I've read the one spot time in Hollywood book mm-hmm. and there's a whole chapter on it <laughs> of, of of what happened on that boat. Okay, but like <laughs> we don't get anything added to that. Like for you, like who read that, it's like okay, you get like some substance to it, but it's yeah. like, like I didn't really need that then. Well, like, it it. it, it I think it. I don't know. I actually kind of liked it because it, it adds a little bit of a backstory to Cliff. It gives. It give. It lets you. It under. It, it kind of tells you who Cliff is as a person because he is this guy that is so laze and so like doesn't really get frustrated or angry and you know he, he's just super kind of. Um, he's just so he is he's kind of in that hippie mentality where he's just like let it all just whatever man like yeah. just, just it's all cool like don't 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 worry don't sweat the small stuff but it does add a lot and i think maybe you're i don't know maybe you're just not thinking about it but like it adds a lot to his character with the whole thing of he's not he, he's a he's a stuntman and he's not allowed to do his his stunt work leo is essentially you know, going and doing all these things with another stuntman, even though Cliff Booth is his stuntman, because nobody wants to now hire Cliff anymore because they think that he killed his wife mm-hmm. and he got away with it. So now nobody wants to hire Cliff. So Cliff has this whole thing of, you know, he's he's ro- he's rolling around with Rick Dalton, who is this, you know, millionaire actor, playboy, he does all these amazing things, has a beautiful house. And then we have that great juxtaposition where Cliff is this really easygoing, you know, hang out don't worry about all the small stuff and then you like have that great great scene where he hops into his car his Mm -hmm. car is just this shitty little beater and he drives it to his shitty little mobile home behind the the drive-in the drive-in theater where he's just it's just him and brandy his dog and and all of that is you know a lot of that has to do with the fact of his of his past right he's an he's a he's a veteran he's a veteran he went to vietnam or uh yeah i think yeah. It, i think it was in vietnam he came back and you know he he killed his wife and now he's no longer flourishing in the film industry like he was he's no longer this this like go-to stuntman like he was in italy he was because nobody cares and nobody knows who he is but 
in America, you know, he was he's in he's been in the film industry for so long, so people know his wife, mm-hmm. right? Like Kurt Russell's um, wife yeah. in the in the film, she, you know, she was friends with with Cliff's wife, mm-hmm. and then he and then she gets killed. So while you don't get an entire like backstory of like what happened, I do think that it does add a lot to Cliff as a character. I mean, I get it because it's like small little notes of like, okay, like this is something just to like pinpoint on of like who he is. But it's just like overall in the arcing story, I was just like, I didn't like it didn't really add much to me. Yeah. Hmm. Agree to disagree. All right. Well, good things about this film. Everything else. Yeah. Much. <laughs> um, I think this might be his best directed film. I, I want to say, I think specifically, like I, I think personally, I want to thank Tarantino because when it comes to like Inglorious Bastards mm-hmm. with Brad Pitt, I think. Tarantino kind of launched Brad Pitt's secondary career of just doing fun stuff. Yeah. Like you have Inglorious Bastards and then you have this and then you look at like Brad Pitt's like filmography like past this point and it's like the man is just doing whatever he wants to do. Like he's fun. Like he's just kind of like doing like all these fun action movies or like just comedy films Mm -hmm. like Bullet Train that just came out. Right. Blast. Like just a blast of a movie and Brad Pitt is like phenomenal in it yeah so it's like i really think like that tarantino helped him to kind of just be in his his second half of I his think career it was, uh, i don't know when burn after reading came out mm-hmm. i don't remember but burn after reading brad pitt's really fun in that movie too mm-hmm. i think that's like oh six though it might have been before and then like the little cameo in deadpool 2 right yeah right yeah he's he's the invisible guy yeah. right yeah that's that is fun <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, everything else about this movie is so good. I do think that it's his best directed. Um, I do think that it's him in his most, his most indulgent, Mm -hmm. which might be some, like some people might find annoying. I mean, the amount of detail that's in this movie is insane. And the amount of references that we just don't understand as people who are not fully engraved. I mean, like what, like what listening to him speak about how, you know, the pamphlets in the storefronts mm-hmm. on the sh- on the streets of the stores that they were that they're driving through like those are those were time a- like time period accurate mm-hmm. like details that nobody would have really nobody paid attention nobody to. well nobody even sees like mm-hmm. the, it's literally like the pamphlets that are laying in the stores like we're never inside any of these stores but those need to be accurate right mm-hmm. and like what's playing on the radio right and even i don't know did you did you watch like all the credits no. So if you stay for the credits, you get you get a whole thing of Rick Dalton doing um an, a red apple cigarette mm. um commercial. I did I did hear about that where it's like the red apple cigarettes which is just so iconic with Tarantino. Yeah, and then um it, it's it's the red, he does a red apple cigarette um commercial and then there's there's like a Batman and Robin thing that's going on. Mm-hmm. So like the the credits are rolling and then that that classic that that that's playing and you have uh Batman and Robin hosting like a the contest of like hey if you can guess the pat the bat phone number um then you know you will we'll we'll, you'll, we'll fly you down to Los Angeles and we'll get and we'll and you'll and you'll like be able to come hang out with me and Batman and Robin and we'll bring you to the Batcave and you'll win a a new color TV and like all these little mm-hmm. things that are just so 69 mm-hmm. so 69 yeah it's, the infomercial age yeah it's so just cool man i mm-hmm. mean there's so many little details yeah i mean even too like the 
the really cool stuff of like when you have Sharon going to like the movie theater to see like the Dean Martin film that she's in. Yeah. And it's like having her like like keeping the actual footage right. of Sharon Tate in the film is like really, really cool. Even like to the the episode of FBI that is an actual FBI episode. Yeah. And then just like literally adding in uh, Rick into the the yeah, shots. It's it's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. The whole even even like the uh, like when they're sitting there watching. Like this movie again is so indulgent and and it feels like Tarantino is really truly having fun. Like yeah. I feel like every other movie that that he that he's kind of done there there's of course an element of fun. Like Django has like a real kind of fun element, but mm-hmm. I think that in every movie that he's doing prior to this he's been trying to prove that he can do this right he can make a really good western he can make a really good kung fu film he can make a really cool drama uh um crime film Mm -hmm. and this movie is kind of like i've done it all so now i'm just having fun yeah and like between the camera movements and the confidence that you can tell that he has behind the camera and the confidence as he has in his writing that's kind of tarantino having just real true fun Mm -hmm. like that's the that's probably one of the main reasons why there is no plot it's like i've done it all kids like so why have a plot i I, I can like my my writing is so good Mm -hmm. and my and my set designs and every the worlds that i build are so good that you'll want to just hang out in this world because that's how good it is Mm -hmm. and there doesn't need to be a plot you can just come and hang with me also it's not since pulp fiction has he done it this well of like nonlinear storytelling? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty linear though. It is, but then there's like certain points where it's like the backstory of like Cliff and then like the whole, like literally the yeah. whole thing of like him with Bruce Lee, like that whole scene was. Yeah, those like, are flashbacks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's like s- small little things like that where it's like he's just kind of having fun with it where it's like he's taking little elements from like his past of pulp fiction adding in the nonlinear storytelling to yeah. the film also the commitment to that joke is amazing yeah like the fact that we have cliff on the roof and he's like sitting there thinking about why he's not allowed to be yeah. on these movie sets anymore <laughs> and then it just cuts to 15 minutes mm-hmm. of him of, fighting of with Bruce what's Lee. going on and why and all of that and then it and then it cuts back after he throws bruce lee and he's just he's standing on the roof and he's like, yeah, I get it. Like it's <laughs> such, what a commitment to a fucking joke, mm-hmm. and it fuck it's a home run. It's yeah. so good every time. <laughs> the comedy lands perfectly in this. Film. Yeah, this movie is really funny. I love Leonardo DiCaprio as Rick Dalton. Oh, amazing! He's and so funny in this movie. And it's it's funny too because it's like I I was reading some stuff where it's like because you know like Leonardo DiCaprio is like so precise on like learning his lines and like doing like. Um, multiple takes and like trying to like get like pinpoint accurate of like what he wanted to do and it's like adding in these little things where it's like you know Rick Dalton forgets his lines so like there were points in time that I read where it's like Leonardo DiCaprio like on purpose would not read his lines in order to kind of like fulfill how Rick Dalton would have done it yeah and then like even adding like this kind of stuttering to like how he normally yeah, the stutters, talks. Stutter's really cool. I actually mm-hmm. really like that addition to it. Yeah. Uh, I love everything about Rick because he's so, I mean, listen, they really are on a different caliber of, mm-hmm. of acting. Like when you, when you watch this movie, 
there's just nobody else really that yeah. is doing it as well as them. No, I know. I mean the the scene alone when like he forgets his lines and he goes back into his he's trailer stuttering and he's fucking and he, yeah. he's like pissed off. He was like, if if you don't learn your fucking lines, I'm gonna kill you tonight. He's like, dude, well that and then he's like when, when he's talking about no more drinking and then he yeah. immediately takes a drink <laughs> and then throws it out and he's like. <laughs> He's like, yeah, yeah. He looks at himself in the mirror and he's like, if you fuck this up, I'm going to shoot you. Your brains are going to be all over the pool. Mm-hmm. It's it's amazing. And that was all improv, which exactly. is really nice. Um, I love that. Uh, which, yeah. again, is like Tarantino just letting, like, knowing the caliber that DiCaprio has and, like, letting him do that. Yeah. And even when he's acting, like, with, I mean, the whole thing about them being on the Western set and... That is kind of where you, I guess, where you can kind of be like, okay, there's a little bit of a genre here because there's a lot of him being on set in a Western, in in, in a Western. Um, but those are so good, those mm-hmm. scenes. Like the resetting scene of him fucking up his lines. Mm-hmm. The, the, I love the scene where he's he's uh, kidnapped the girl. Yes. And she's sitting on his lap and then she, and then he throws her and, uh, you know, and he's like, you know, he he basically tells him to like go deliver the message to mm-hmm. Luke Perry. It's so good. Like it's so good and it really it's so good that you forget that you're watching like a a fake movie or a yeah. fake television show. I know like you almost get engrossed in like what's going on in this western. Yeah. Like when he fucks up his lines it like takes you out of mm-hmm. it and you're like, Oh right, yeah, this isn't this isn't uh, a western. Yeah. It's so good. I know. And then like afterwards when he's like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to like throw you are you okay? Yeah. And she like whispers like that was the best acting I've ever seen and he tears yeah. up a little bit. Yeah. Um th- and then that kinda like brings me to the point of like where I can I can argue that this is like the most unique Western film out there. Because like yes, you have like all these scenes that like are from a Western movie but there are Western elements to the film, like literally when they're at like the the ranch, like with George, with with Cliff, like that whole scene feels like a Western movie, right? But it also is, it's like it it is because the like the Spawn Ranch is a is a movie set, yes, a Western but, movie set, yes. But like <laughs> the whole idea, like like when you get the pan down shots of like literally cliff walking back and all of them are booing him and it's like this slow motion and like you get it from like the the shoes up of him like that's a very western-esque scene yeah and then like him going over and seeing like the knife in his tire and then like punching out the guy yeah like that's a very western-esque like fight scene yeah and even like when yeah when you're in these western towns he films it in such a way where like there's He's filming it like it is a Western movie. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting when, uh, when, when we meet, uh, what's his name? The guy, the guy who Lance, I think Lancer, who's mm-hmm. like he's on, he's doing the television show on yeah. Lancer, and there's the tracking shot that happens, and then you you watch the guy um, park his horse, and and like it stops behind somebody who's like got his gun out and he and he's and it's like such a really cool movie shot Mm -hmm. although it's for a television show that they're filming it's it's just really the way that he filmed it is so smart and good that like you're walk you're walking through a a western town that you know is a set yeah but it feels like you're actually watching a real western film Mm -hmm. another like probably the biggest praise too that i have for this film is it's really hard to do it with like hangout films because like you kind of just end up like 
getting lost in what's going on. And, like, sometimes that's really good because it's like you're just hanging out with them. But, like, other times it can feel like it's dragging a lot for films. And, again, like, Tarantino being a master of pacing. This film is yeah. two hours and 40 minutes long. Yeah. And it does not feel like that even for a film that nothing is really going on. Yeah. Like, that's that's incredible. He's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, the addition of Sharon Tate is, I think, really smart mm-hmm. because she really is this kind of, like, she she really breaks up the movie in a way that I think is necessary where she adds, like, a real lightness to the movie. Yeah, because you have, like, all of, like, the bad stuff that's going on with Cliff and Rick where it's, like, their careers aren't taking off. Like, they're wondering why, like, they can't get any work done. And then you have just Sharon who's, like, going out to a movie and, like, just being in awe that she's in it. Yeah. Um, you know, when she's, when she's, uh, when you kind of, I think, I think the first scene with her really is um, when her and Polanski are going to the Playboy Mansion. Which I found out is actually the Playboy Mansion. Yeah, like, like they they were given okay to film there. Yeah, and like it's so good. Like, yeah, <laughs> and that scene where her like they're driving in the in the car and then they pull up and you have uh, all of these you know actors and famous everybody's super famous and they're mm-hmm. they're just throwing a real real proper party and share you have like that beautiful shot of her running down to the dance floor and starting to dance yeah. and I mean she just adds like this really kind of like elegance to the to the film and a kind of a lightheartedness to the movie that I think works so well and you and I remember watching the movie being like where are we going with her like because yeah. the movie start the movie is titled Once Upon a Time in mm-hmm. Hollywood and the only other time I think in his career where there was anything that said Once Upon a Time was in Glorious Bastards mm-hmm. and it says Once Upon a Time in, Nocu- in Nazi occupied France yeah and and you have that like, movie is where he changes history. Exactly. Right? And it's like, okay, we're going on a little bit of a fairy tale. And once upon a time in Hollywood, it's like, okay, he's probably going to change something again here. Mm. And when you have Sharon Tate, who is just such this, she's just such this nice, bubbly, bubbly girl. And, and she's, you know, pregnant and, and we know the history of what happens. Yeah. I mean, you're really, really nervous as to mm. like where he's going to go with it. And, it's such a it's such a happy ending. Yeah, like it it is such like a fun I mean there, there's a bolt there's a lot of shit that leads to that. Well, yeah. But like it's such like again cuz you know like what happens with like Sharon Tate and like the Charles Manson family. So it's like I was nervous going into it. I was like, "Oh fuck, like are they like is he going to commit to what happened or is he right. going to change history?" Yeah. And like what he did was just so much fun. It's it's like fun like, and it's perfect. The f- the final fight scene esque thing where it's like you know when Tex and all of them like go and instead of going to Sharon Tate's house, end up going to Rick Dalton's house, and then just getting completely murdered, like yeah. to the to the point where it's like it's almost comical. It is. Although it is his, like I, I made, I said this. Glorious, yeah. Like I did say this when, uh, when we did our, when we did our fight scene, um, episode where, like it's surprisingly mm-hmm. gory. Like, like the, it, the, it's it, it's a different kind of gore yeah. than his other movies. Like the mainly when Cliff like gets smashing. tackled 
and then yeah. like finds the knife in like the side of his leg and, and he's he like oh smashing her face like between like the table and like the fireplace counter and then like the phone yeah and i'm like man and it's comedic for sure yes but like the f- the way that the gore actually looks it's kind of unsettling mm-hmm. and it's I, I don't know every time i watch it i'm like shocked because i don't know many other directors who would be allowed to do that yeah because most of the time it would be get an X rating then. Or that or just like, yeah, I mean, you don't know. Like, especially a man doing that to a woman in a movie is just like, I don't know. That, that seems like Hollywood would be like, ah, I don't know I about this. I think the this. only way that he got away with it was just because of like how gruesome like the Charles Manson murders were. And it's like, okay, what if we got revenge for all Yeah, that? I guess, I guess like, there was probably an element like, of like cathartic. Like it was cathartic yeah, for like, them. Kind of the way that like he worded it in like the meeting of like, okay, like sure, you can do it then. Yeah. Like if we torch a girl with a flamethrower that ended up killing many people, is that okay? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, right. And like, that's such it's so smart like even too like the the small little thing sorry to cut you off but like the small little thing of like the the charles manson girl that like ran off yeah and like decided like oh i left my knife in in the car yeah and like just drove off that's instead. real she did that's, do that she yeah left. she actually did that and that then was she, maya hawk by the way that's uh uma thurman's daughter oh cool and ethan hawks i didn't know that yeah um yeah because that girl ended up like uh like going to the police and like confessing everything about tex and like the other ones yeah um yeah i mean yeah there's a lot of stuff that is absolutely accurate in this movie i mean really the only thing that's not accurate is how the movie ends yeah other than that like everything is really really accurate uh um what i i forgot what i was gonna say um oh no yeah so like the kind of going back to like the cigarette i don't think is utilized so well because like the flamethrower is like the flamethrower is is like a loaded gun that has been placed in the movie where it's like he has a flamethrower. Mm-hmm. The flamethrower has been established. He, he, it, you know, he, he used it in one of his movies and, and now he has it there and he, and he's been trained on how to like use it properly. So then like the flamethrower coming back at the end where he burns one of the Manson girls in the pool, like that was like perfectly, it was, you know, uh, it was set up and it was, and then you got that payoff. Yeah. I just don't think the ass cigarette had that setup and payoff. It had mm-hmm. the setup and then it just, it just became like a, okay, now he's yeah. high. Well, because we got two scenes of it, too. It was like, what is it? It's an acid dip cigarette. Yeah. It's like, what does it do? It gets you high? Yeah. I also really like the character development, ironically, of Brandy. Oh, the dog? Yeah. Yeah, I love her. Like, she. I was so worried. Cause... Yeah, of course you are. And, like, every time you, every time there's an animal in a movie, you know, you do get kind of nervous. But uh, when when you similar to that setup and payoff where you know when 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 you meet brandy in uh cliff's mobile home Mm -hmm. you learn how well trained she is yeah and then that comes back into play when tex and the group all break into the home and like that is proper character development for a dog <laughs> mm-hmm. it's like really interesting yeah. she knows like the the small little things that like he'll do to like cue for something to be done yeah uh yeah exactly and like she you know she has like that when he goes like that mm-hmm. is kind of her sign to what you know do things and when he when he tells her like no not yet she relaxes there's just really smart storytelling and really great writing in this even, movie even the personality too because it's like when we get the scene of like when Cliff's back at like his little trailer and like she like like whimpers a little bit and he's like, Hey, 
are you whining? Because yeah. you're not going to get fed if you're whining. Yeah, yeah. And then she like settles down and she's like, okay. Yeah, yeah. She's she's the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And then, I mean, a very different ending for a Tarantino movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very happy ending. Where it is a real proper happy ending. And it's an ending that is so nice and sweet where Rick finally gets to meet Sharon and she's pregnant mm-hmm. and... She obviously doesn't get killed, and he goes up, and they introduce themselves, and they now kind of live happily ever after yeah, in, in and you, this world. You kind of get, like, this idea, too, where it's like, you know, when Roman Polanski comes back, like, maybe he'll cast, like, Rick Dalton in a film, and, like, right. it'll take off his career, and maybe he, he'll he say, like, you know what, never mind, like, to anything that I heard about Cliff, like, let's use him as your stunt double type situation. Yeah. Like, you, you imagine that, like, everything works out for them. Right, yeah, and there's just there's just this element of like a fairy tale and it's like for you know a brief brief moment everything's okay and 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 it's just nice to see and you know it's like it's nice to to think that sharon and and everybody that was involved in those murders are okay uh and i don't know I, i just really appreciated what he did um i think there's a lot a lot of these i think a lot of a lot of people in this you know, people who watch this movie are not going to be super thrilled with the film and just how different it is from a Tarantino movie and and whatever. But I think if you really truly appreciate like good storytelling um, and great characters and and you're okay with just you know a hangout movie, I think mm-hmm. this is probably one of the best. And I do truly believe that this is this is probably his best film. It might not be my favorite film. Mm-hmm. But like from it's a technical standpoint, from a character standpoint, from the 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 world building and everything that is, you know, the movie sets and everything. I mean, it's probably his best movie. And I do believe that it's kind of the film that he, his entire career has been leading up to. And that's what you used to say about Inglorious Bastards. Well, I. Uh, yeah. Inglorious <laughs> Bastards for me is like, yeah, that that was kind of like his. I thought like his best directed and his best written. Mm hmm. Um, I still think it's probably his best rating written mm-hmm. movie, but I think in a, in totality, I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is probably his best movie. But it's not my favorite Tarantino film. Yeah. I go back and forth between like Inglorious Bastards, um, Reservoir Dogs, and uh, Hateful Eight. Yeah, I really enjoy Hateful Eight. I know. Um, it's incredible. This movie's mm-hmm. great, and I think that uh, it's it's if you have if you somehow manage to like not see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think you're doing yourself a disservice and not watching it. It's nine, so nine, iconic. Nine flamethrowers out of ten. It's really good. I kind of gave myself a little bit more to it this time around. Yeah. Um, yeah, you got to know what it is before you mm-hmm. go into it, I think. Yeah. Um, that being said, I have a recommendation. Mm-hmm. Um, are you familiar with Murderville? That's on Netflix. It's a television show with um, uh, Will Arnett. No. Okay, so Murder <laughs> Murderville is really, really fun. Um, it's every episode is a murder mystery, mm-hmm. so it's, it's it's a whodunit, and they bring on. So Will Arnett is playing a detective, and everybody on the set is has a script and is doing you know and is it has like what they're gonna say and they know what they're gonna say. But every episode they bring like an actor mm-hmm. or a celebrity of some kind on, and they don't get a script. So like a murder will happen and then Will Arnett's character and this cele- this celebrity will have to solve the case and there's three there's always three suspects mm-hmm. and like little things are dropped like of like who who actually who who was the murderer and then the person the celebrity guest has to kind of 
put the pieces together and figure out who it is. It sounds fun. It is. It's really, really fun. So I would recommend Murderville. And then just because it's Christmas time, they just released like a, a longer, like almost one hour episode of somebody killed Santa Claus. And they brought on all of these different like celebrities and they're trying it's the, the main celebrity is Jason Bateman. Oh, okay. Cool. So like Jason Bateman gets brought in and has to solve the case of who murdered Santa. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, really fun. This just sounds like Clue, the TV show. It's pretty much what it is. It, it, it's a whodunit. It's, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's you know, it's a glass onion. It's, mm. you know, it, it's very similar to those. But, like, you know, they, they keep it they keep it really light. You know, they'll, like, Will Arnett, even, like, a lot of times he can't even hold in a laugh and he'll just start laughing because it's so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a whole thing of, like, two celebrities came in and they had to do, like, a good, a good cop, bad cop routine. And then he was like, all right. All right. Now, now you're now you're a now you're a good French cop and you're bad Italian cop. And then like they're just like doing like Italian accents and speaking French to this person. It's really really funny. Um so I would highly recommend Murderville on uh Netflix. It's really really fun. Okay. Cool. Uh Zach, I might check we, that one out. Yeah. Zach, what are we doing next? Uh we are going to be doing some of our favorite happy endings to films. Uh, the season of happy of happiness. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then in January, everything's sad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, Zach, take us out. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Now, Frank, anybody order fried sauerkraut? <laughs>